my boyfriend in the background is that one on my dresser, and that is Antinous. Uh, except it's not Antinous. It is a 19th century bust by a lesbian that has been mislabeled. Uh, and it was in my thesis, and he came with me to my Viva. Uh, nice. Yes. Yeah, I, he weighs about 30 pounds, and I carried him in my prissy-ass Viva dress into my Amazing. Viva with him under one arm. And my examiners were both like, we thought you were joking when you, asked <laughs> you could bring a prop. And I went... I would never joke about statues. I mean, prop or weapon, <laughs> what was the point of bringing this 30 pound item? If it had gone badly, I don't want to, yeah, I don't yeah, want to guess. Yeah, okay. yeah it's, uh... <laughs> So of course that must've been an in-person Viva. I did my Viva over Zoom and like oh, yeah. the dog was in the room, obviously, because oh, of course good. the dog was in the room for support. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I miss the, the possibility of chucking something at the examiner's head just in mm. case it went badly. I do have to say that my examiners were lovely and were very up on... They had to they be. They had to be. And they knew they'd <laughs> met me before and kind mm-hmm. of knew what I was like. Uh, yeah. so, is that, so is that so is that the original bust then that is like oh, part no. of your research? The, orig- <laughs> say, like, wow. the original bust is part of my research. The original bust is owned or was owned because he croaked um in Corona One um by a guy <laughs> in upstate New York. And I'm waiting for stuff to reopen so I can find out what happened to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Get a bargain. Snatch it. I'm definitely Sneak not going to be able to afford it, but I need to know where it goes because I've never actually yeah. seen it in person. Mm-hmm. He was a very, very nice, very mad old man um, who sent me very long, crazy emails. Um, but Love it. And he was like, yes, of course you can use pictures of it. But also I was like, yeah, but I own my own copy. I'm, it's a birthday present. You can buy them on the internet. They're not that expensive. What did he say? If you're saying these long, mad emails, like, how mad are we talking? Like, are we, were they always on topic? No. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. They're not, they're not Alan Terrica, but they were like, I'd sent him an article about stuff that I'd written that he was sort of mentioned or cited in. And I'd go like, here is my short, chatty article about this slightly tangential topic he'd go i don't agree this long email back like i disagree with like, one <laughs> sentence and here's all of this time i curated an exhibition for my friend's private collection and it was so difficult to get the statue up the stairs to his new york apartment i was like this is why didn't i meet you in like the 60s because i bet you were a hoot i think people who own like actual original artworks are like nuts and or criminals yeah because it is obviously one of the world's like most notorious spaces for trading dark money or whatever you want to call that kind of dodgy cash Uh, exactly how many uh bust jokes do you make like on a daily not that many i tend to work on full-length statues partly to resist the temptation okay how many full-length jokes do you make a lot Yeah, there's a lot of jokes about uh, chiseled, chiseled bodies, Mm -hmm. rigid members, marble staffs. Keep going. No, (laughs) that's stuff on our behalf. I'm trying to think of what's another good. What's what's the? There's one I wrote that I got really poorly, like sort of purple and Victorian about like bulbous swags caressing (laughs) bulbous swags. It's not a word combination I like. I've got to say. I 
think we should probably introduce you. <laughs> oh yeah, we should do that. <laughs> Remember that? Do you want to do it, Alex? Or do you want to I do will it? do it. No, it's fine. You've done the last couple. I will go for it. Okay. She made me do the last couple because there were words in there that she knew that I couldn't say. That's the favorite part. Hello, and welcome to Long My Praxis. This week, we are speaking with Dr. Melissa Gustin, who begged to be on this podcast. Shamelessly. I did. It was not, it was not dignified. <laughs> we don't like dignity here. Uh, Melissa's research focuses on forms of reproduction in classically informed sculpture from the 18th century through to contemporary 3D printing. In addition to her interest in classicism and antiquity, Melissa works on queer archaeology, murderous mermaids, volcanic breasts, and of course, mushrooms. Since graduating from the University of York, she has held the Henry Moore Postdoctoral Research Fellowship and is currently completing her monograph titled Unquiet Grandeur, Encountering Antiquity in Neoclassical Sculpture. She is currently a postdoctoral representative for the BAB's Executive Committee and is proof that some Americans understand culture. And I want to make it clear that Louise wrote that last bit. I did. And I'm not taking it back. Welcome. Thank you for having me. After my shameless traveling on public platforms. It's the only way we get anywhere. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like, you're the first groveler that we've got on, but we've had a few. We've had a couple. <laughs> Not to, uh, you know, to our own kazoo, but we've had a few grovelers. We've had a few grovelers. Toot that but... kazoo, ladies. Toot that kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like a few grovelers. And uh, I think we're going to start a thing that's going to be like, Bully your friends. Recommend a friend. We're having an issue where a lot of our content is contemporary and 19th century. And I say contemporary, I think we've had one. Well, I will tell you my definition of the 19th century and then everything oh, please will be do. fine. The 19th century is everything from the 4th century BCE until the Parthenon marbles are returned to Greece. All of that is the 19th century. We own it all. Is that why you had to bring the bust in with you to the Viva? Because that's quite a claim. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, it's all ours. We invented all of it. All of that stuff is the Victorians. They yeah. suck. They suck, but they mean that we get to claim everything and then have to give it back with a lot of apologies later. Although the marbles aren't back yet, are they? They're not, so we're still in the 19th century. Wonderful, great. I mean, when we look at politicians in Britain as well, like where we've got RV smogs, like until we get rid of them, <laughs> we're always in the 19th century. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that sounded slightly pro Tory on my behalf. I will quant- qualify that I am not pro RV smog, I am pro Victorians. Um, <laughs> Very important to distinguish between the two of those. Hmm. The Elgin marbles, though, what are they? Tell us. They are the pedimental and decorative frieze sculptures from the Parthenon in Greece. And Elgin, under circumstances, which are uh, (laughs) disputed by the British Museum and generally agreed upon by everyone else, uh, to be Mm -hmm. maybe as fuck took them back to Britain where they were not universally acclaimed and he had to do a lot of wheeling and dealing to get them bought by the government in the first place. So it was not this glorious cultural triumph and they were described (laughs) as no better than furniture by certain people and it took a lot of a lot of concerted effort to get them to stay uh and now i guess there's still you know the sunk cost fallacy of like oh we put all this effort into get them in the first place. Finders keepers? Uh, <laughs> to what extent is finders keepers a legitimate way of of keeping hold of antiquity? You know, if they just said finders keepers, I would respect them a bit more. <laughs> like if they just went, nah, don't wanna. The, no, we just don't want it. But they keep trying to like, oh no, it was fine. It was the times. It was like we had paperwork. Paperwork that we wrote ourselves and signed ourselves. 
by a moderately illegitimate government who was subsequently, fairly shortly after thereof, thrown out of the country for being, you know, an occupying power. Not perhaps the most legitimate paper trail, not a shining moment of British Empire to which we should be. Oh, there's so many though. I mean, there's so, so many. What, so many shining moments of British Empire. Yeah, yeah. there's so many, yeah. yeah. I'm so sure many. if we put our heads together, we could think of like at least one. Sure. But I'm not sure we want to waste podcast time on that. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> the Oedipus Complex be like. Fuck. Fuck. Mommy shark. Fuck. Mommy Kill. I'm seeing in the background some really subtle references to what you work on. Yeah, I love this. There are at least two busts and two pictures of vases. This one is my um, orange velvet flocked. I was going to say, is it velvet? It is velvet. Um, It was... What's your favourite part to touch? Describe it for our listeners. This is an audio medium. I do love to stroke her velvety orange bosom. Ah, velvet titty. The velvet titty, the velvet, the velvet bosoms. Uh, And she likes to sit under my staghorn fern and get spores all over her, Mm -hmm. uh, which is fun. Who is she of? Is it just some sort of nameless? Diana the Huntress, the Diana of Versailles, because I'm I'm a fancy bitch. I got it on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Link will be in the show notes. Link will be in the show notes. Uh, It is possibly (laughs) the tackiest thing I own. I mean, I really want one. I think my partner might hate it, but I, I really want one. I it looks great. really, really want... There's a blue velvet David by Michelangelo. No, that's what I want. I take it back. I want that. But the statue, the copy that they're using is shit. Like it's Oh, I don't so, want that. No, it's, it's so much better. It's so much better. It's so horrible. Oh, no. They can't do that to David. David was literally... I, I was trying to think earlier on of like, what's the biggest sculptural encounter I've had? These are the thoughts we have. I wasn't thinking about these things. I was. I was very <laughs> in depth. But I remember walking into the museum at Florence and seeing David and being like, one, fuck, that's tall. Two, my God, the veins on that hand. Three, he fine. Yeah, he, he got a hiney. He's got a... Yeah, he got a nice booty. He's got a nice booty. He's a juicy mm-hmm. little piece of man meat. There's quite a few of those. But his head's weird. It's, it's, his head is his weird. His face is not great. He's a butterface as we used to say when I was a youth, <laughs> when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And we, we used to shorten that to butters. Like, did you get that? Someone's butters. Like, because it's a butter face, but it's like, it's butters because British. Well, I went to school in England, so that's confusing. Like very international. Yeah. I'm from Central California. We also used the very sophisticated clueless term, a Monet, which is that it looks uh, fine from far away, but when you get close up, it just all falls apart. <laughs> I mean that sounds like some Orange County shit am I right? I love it yeah <laughs> all of yeah. I was from far away from there but it was it was contagious we all I rewatched that this year no when are we counting years it's been a really a long 2020 still um yeah I watched it during one of the lockdowns I think my favorite line from that film is still like you're a virgin you can't drive yeah <laughs> Solid. Stands up. It mm-hmm. does, except for the, I always want to call him Paul Blart, and that's not his name. Um, Paul Blart Morcock. Paul Blart Morcock. Paul Rudd, that's the one. 
for, you know, <laughs> wanting to bang his 16-year-old stepsister. Mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm, eh. mm-hmm. I mean, I think that line is always better in the original Austin, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Incest is always better in Austin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we interrupted. We were talking about velvet titties, and I'd like to get back to yes, that. Yes, my velvet titties. I have some lino prints that I won, I think, was a gift for making a quilt. And then a cat and a lot of plants because I'm a millennial and I don't have children. I have plants. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just buy fakes. That's like a museum right there. <laughs> or velvet yeah. shit. There's stuff you can buy at TK Maxx. How often do you have to deal with like actual art people? Art like people. the crazy art people. Not the like academic art people, but you know, the art people. Collectors. Before I did my PhD, I was a research assistant at the Art Institute of Chicago. And mm. there is a wide range of rich people with whom you have to deal. Some of them are lovely. Some of them are absolutely mm-hmm. lovely and give works of art in your name to the Art Institute oh, nice. as, as a thank you for working on their show. Others make you take your shoes off and eat lunch in the bathroom while you're working on their collection. Mm. Wow. Yeah. It was an interesting an interesting life experience. Uh- <laughs> Perhaps crueler than academia then. The lunches we could steal from trustees meetings were better. I bet they tasted, they were like high quality. Oh, they were so nice. They were so nice. Our, mm. our, my, my manager, the head of the department was always like, oh, here's all this extra food. While the caterers are gone, take it upstairs to the break room and all of the young people can help themselves. We'd all walk out with like... Honest to God, this is what I miss most about conferences. No, is it's not, Alex. You are lying. <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's just because you can't have them. Like, honestly, they are them. not they that good. Them. They are awful. I'm with you, Alex. I miss them. I love free food. I miss free food. I miss free tote bags. I am yes, I miss all the free head. shit. Mm-hmm. The thing I don't miss, the stupid tiny conference plates. Why are they so small? Stop shaming me because I'm having to pick up six sandwich slices. Right? Oh my god! Like, don't make me do three laps. Like I just, <laughs> like, just let me get enough fucking salad wraps on the first mm-hmm, go. Mm-hmm, We've been mm-hmm, going since mm-hmm, nine a.m. Mm-hmm. We're going till ten o'clock at night. I need more than one Caesar fucking salad wrap. <laughs> That sounds like a like time for a kazoo. It does sound like time for a kazoo. Kazoo break. Okay, yeah, kazoo interlude. Please tell us if you can <laughs> through my musical stylings. What is the song? Why is it relevant? Question mark. I will say I'm I I know nothing about pop music, so this might be a staggering embarrassment on my part. Don't worry, it always is for me. <laughs> my partner has conveniently stolen and lost my kazoo for me, so it has to be Alex. Crying. And they're just so expensive, you can't, you just can't replace it instantly through Amazon. It's just, they're not £1.50. Okay. I feel like I should go get my tambourine or something. Right, here we go. <clears throat> Thoughts? I know I know it, but... If I said Nelly Furtado... No. Is it Nelly Furtado? Yeah. No, you have no idea how out of touch I am. I have I I own a banjo. Like let's like let's set that level of my pop culture. Banjo and a tambourine. I mean I was gonna let the tambourine slide, but Yeah, I don't know anything about We've all had our Stevie Nicks moments. Yeah. Okay. That's like <laughs> genuinely I'm We were inspired by one of your paper titles. Mm-hmm. So Oh, is it it's not Dude Looks Like a Lady? Uh that's 
you won't have seen that one. Ooh, she's a man-eater. Yes. yes. So I uh, gave a paper called Ooh, She's a Man-Eater, um, which I gave twice in the space of two weeks and had very different receptions. Uh, <laughs> there are two recordings where you can see the two very different receptions for two very different audiences. It was about Edward Byrne Jones's painting, The Depths of the Sea, which is a very strapping mermaid with a very phallic tail. Uh, and big muscular arms, and a very evil little gremlin look on her face, pulling a very naked sailor down to her watery cave, presumably to eat him for lunch. Therefore, because everything must be a pop culture reference, even though I don't understand pop culture, and a pun, and or a pun, it was a 15-minute paper with about 15 different fish puns in it yes um we like it we're like we here for puns. it I think this podcast is a place for fish puns you'll, you'll... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you'll find i'm playing in tuna then <laughs> we otter move nice. along um <laughs> the monterey bay aquarium has been putting up with from me for years now um i just tweet them fish puns <laughs> Have you heard this one? Have you heard this one? <laughs> the classic being when you stick your hand in a crack and you don't get it back. That's a moray eel. <laughs> but yeah, so the mermaid shit is all about how um, mermaids in art are not sexy ladies. They're not sexy human mammal women who sailors can fuck. They are sort of carnivorous sponges or eels or deep sea anglerfish. And the tits mm -hmm. are just lures for stupid men Ooh, so yeah. that they can Classic. catch their yummy yummy prey i mean i'm looking at the image now and yeah she's like i mean i don't even want to know if i want to call, say she there's something very kind exactly. of non-gender specific exactly they are ripped incredible abs very well-defined arms and just has this incredible look of sort of like <laughs> He thought he was going to fuck me. It's great. It's great. Also, the size of his penis looks like it would be really small from this image, yeah. I have to say, right? In terms of it's just covered by an elbow. It's nothing. I mean, she may have already gone to town. Oh. You know, an aperitif or an hors d'oeuvre or something, you know, yeah. prairie oysters. It's interesting how you, uh, how you mentioned eels because <laughs> <laughs> I discovered that no one knows how eels reproduce. Eels are a mystery. Eels are a mystery. And I was just like, how is that still a thing? I, I definitely just like, what's up, Alex? Just being like, oh my God, no one knows how eels have sex. And she was like, is this a reference to something? And I was it was like, Tuesday no. at like 9am. Like <laughs> One, Louise, why are you up right now? Because you're never up at 9am. Never up at 9am. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a thing. Like people don't know how eels have sex because... They don't, they make love. Because someone like super famous that I can't remember, like did, who isn't associated with like biology and eels, who was dissecting them. Like they don't have genitals. I mean, they don't have sex organs until like later in life, but that's when they're in the sea. Yep. But we, mm -hmm. we still don't know where they mate. They all mate at the same time. We don't know what their life cycle is. Eels are a mystery. So like, like your mermaid, eel makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> There's also stories of like, oh, it could have been a mermaid. And then it turns out that it's like a seven foot long conger eel, which was attacking people. I mean, I think the most recent one where they caught like a massive one was in 2015, somewhere in Ireland. And they caught like the largest eel on record. Um, and it had like attacked a diver. 
and they're just like, there's a massive fucking eel, which I showed in that presentation. Everything's got to be weird all the fucking time. What were the two different, like, if we're talking about different extremes of reaction? So one was for the Rethinking Edward Byrne Jones conference at Oxford attached to the exhibition. Mm. And it was a lot of very lovely people who are very into Byrne Jones and like his very serious theological thought and how lovely everything is and his interpersonal relationships. And I gave the last non-keynote paper and rocked up and went, no, it's time for fish puns and sponge mermaid um, (laughs) and trans theory and global warming and passed out stickers. And then about three minutes from the end, I went, yeah, you remember how I mentioned trans theory? We're going to talk about mermaids, the uh, charitable organization. There was uh, some discomfort in the room. They stopped laughing at the puns. And then I gave it a week or two later at the court called Queer Conversations. And the audience were just like, yes, of course. Of course the mermaids are agender, trans, eel, sponges who reproduce by budding and eat men. That makes perfect sense. So reproduce by butting, is that, is that the term? B-U-D-D-I-N-G. It's how oh, certain budding. species of sponges reproduce. So I heard butting because I was like, oh, it's this queer. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever read Danny Lavery's The Merry Spinster, it's the first story. It's a retelling of The Little Mermaid, but she is a non-bilaterally symmetrical deep sea, probably a sponge. Um, mm-hmm. And she and her sisters reproduce by like clonal splitting where they bud off and like your siblings grow off of you and then come off and go away. I'm very interested in non-heteronormative reproduction and ways of thinking about spread. Mm, spores. Spore, I love spores. Hence why you knew about the eel sex non-mystery. Yeah. So, apparently quite recently, somebody managed to get radio trackers on eels that stayed on for mm. a long time. So they're they're narrowing it down. I just love the idea that one of them got back, we found it, we found the eel sex cave. <laughs> They're all there. How did you know what I call my vagina? Eel. But let's go back to spores. Yes, um, spores. Because all we have down as a question is mushrooms. What? Yeah, sounds about right. I am, <laughs> basically, I travel a lot. I run myself into the ground when I travel. And I find this a very productive way of having new ideas. Because I'm very boring and straight edge and don't drink or do drugs. So I need to do other things to sort of enter a hallucinatory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, capacity. So I was at the Musée d'Orsay, as one does, on insufficient <laughs> amounts of coffee and far too much walking. And I was very tired and basically hallucinating. And I saw this statue by Jean-Léon Jérôme called Tanagra. And I basically hallucinated the little figurines were mushrooms that were growing on the statue as I watched them. And I went, wait a minute. No, the Musée d'Orsay's conservation department is very good. They're not going to let mushrooms. That's, but it sort of stuck. And I went, and it turns out that no, they weren't mushrooms. And I am a crazy person. But that think about the way sort of archaeological artifacts emerge from the ground and Mm -hmm. like disseminate across markets, whether licitly or illicitly, and then pop up out of nowhere. And then that sets off like a whole chain reaction of like new little copies and then those sort of go underground and then they pop up in unexpected places. Very sort of mushroomy and networky and spores. And also rhizomy. And also some fungus species have like 28,000 sex pairings. They sound like fun guys. Oh, they're hey. I've been, I've been, I've been sitting on that one. I've been waiting for, for a long time. Yeah, pretty much all day. Well-timed. 
yeah, so that's that's the idea of this idea. And because Jean-Leon Jerome's statues are extremely horny, like they're mad horny, just like and the people who write like the professional grown-up serious men who write about them are like, oh, there's like a level of discomfort when examining her legs. And all the women are like, that looks like she's trying to shave the back of her knees. It's not that horny. But so it's an interesting way of sort of going, this is not as straight as you think it is. This is not, no, other things are happening here that are more fun, way more fun than like Monsieur La Baguette upset, like just looking at some legs. Enforces structures of heteronormativity. We're talking about fun, but I think we should like dial it back for just a second and ask for a really boring fact about yourself. Oh, yeah. I was trying to think of one, and the problem is I'm a raging narcissist, and I think every single tiny detail of my life is the most interesting thing in the world. I mean, I kind of like that, though. I would just take that as confidence. That's great. I was sitting there going, oh, I make quilts. I'm like, oh, that's not actually boring. Not many people make quilts anymore. Oh, I knit. No, I design my No, wait, 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 wait. No, that is boring. Okay, I'll accept that. I make quilts. I'm a thousand years old, and I make patchwork quilts. What do you take the patches from? Um, I buy fabric and cut them up. Oh, so boring. Like, That's it's not boring. even kind of like, no, oh, like, I take I buy, the dresses of my lovers. No, I use, and... I use patterns that someone else has written and commercially produced fabric, and I make quilts for money. Okay, why did you think that that was not boring? Um, because apparently people think it's exciting. I think it's very boring. It's a lot of straight In lines. the quilt community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, on Twitter. People who don't know things about fabric like, oh, it's really oh, yeah. exciting. Like, it's not. I said it. Quilt Twitter's nuts. I said it. There we go. I like it. I make quilts because I'm an old woman. There is your boring fact. It's very true. I'm very boring and old. And also, I mean, to fair, we all know it's an echo chamber. It's the only place where I can be like, <laughs> guys, Victorians, and I'll get like 50 <laughs> likes. Like if I did that, my non-academic Twitter friends in person, I was like, uh, guys. Victorians would be like, what? Same with your quilt people. I accept it. I accept it. My quilt people are very boring. (laughs) I mean, it's not that exciting. I make little squares into bigger squares and I sit at my sewing. I'm really worried now that we are going to have quilt Twitter like after us. I actually don't know quilt Twitter. I only know like three people who do like contemporary quilts and historical textiles people. uh, And they're cool. And the problem is all contemporary textile scenes are 50% weird, fun, queer people and 50% weird trad wives. And I don't want to be involved in the trad wife people. Yeah. No, no, I don't want to do that. Like weird homesteady shit. It's when it gets to that point where it's, it kind of comes full circle where like, Trash. No, this is a quilt. They're, they're square. Wow. I'm sure Melissa could make a circle quilt if she wanted to make a circle quilt, Alex. Can you say circle quilt? Say circle quilt again. I can't say it and you know that. <laughs> <laughs> circle quilt. You know, when it gets to that point where like ultra conservative and ultra like, I don't know, left wing, like queer, like when they start to meet, that's where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the protest for like lockdown when you get like the ultra right and the ultra left being like don't tell me what to do also it's not real You're like how are you people in the same room all oh, right because it's come full circle and now you agree right so yeah that was a tangent i mean that kind of leads us towards in some ways um your, tw- your Tinder bio. Yes. 
which we would love for you to share. I'm gay for statues. I'm very gay for statues. And all statues are gay, as I once shouted in the sculpture court at the Victoria and Albert Museum. <laughs> very, <laughs> very loudly and upset some Midwestern tourists. Oh, well, you're the academic. It was good for them. They needed to hear it. They were, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I was on the, one of the queer art V&A tours with Jack Shoulder from Museum Bums. Do you not follow Museum Bums? No. <gasps> what is Museum Bums? It's an entire Twitter and Instagram account dedicated to um, paintings and statues of asses. Oh, wonderful. <gasps> Why do I not follow Why this? Why do you not follow them? They're great. They're lovely. And we were on the queer V&A tour and he was saying, oh, this statue is kind of gay. And from the back of the group, I just went, Jack, all statues are gay. <laughs> Why have I not followed I this before? I don't know. There are some amazing booties on yes. here. Some of which mm-hmm, I have submitted mm-hmm. to the... Because that's what I do is I travel and take pictures of statue butts. I thought you were going to say just like, I've just submitted of my own to see if they'll make it in. Yeah, no. Does this look alabaster to you? <laughs> <laughs> I've been squatting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gay for statues. I mean, I'm going to swipe right because just, you know, gay. Gay. <laughs> but four statues, though, four Louise. Statues. You know? And... I worked on my my PhD was on two lesbian women sculptors in Rome. My two prongs of spite on this are their work is better than most of the men's, just like hands down. It's just better and more interesting and more skillfully done in a lot of ways. And also they are cleverer than they are given credit for. And so much was frequently given like, oh, in oh, this is about her her lover. This is about how she was afraid of giving birth. Oh my god, it's always a birth it's fear. Always a birth fear. Or this this was about her her celebration of the female form. And you're sort of going, she spoke Greek and Latin and composed French poetry and was friends with crowned heads of Europe. Like, surely we can give her a little bit more credit than... I mean, we all like boobs. Boobs are great. The titty. Boobs are I great. Mean, boobs, everyone loves boobs. Velvet titties. The velvet titties, mm-hmm. you know. But even the lesbians amongst us can say that there is, in fact, more to life and art than tits. Louise? Louise? I mean, yeah. In theory. In theory. I'm not a big art person. I mean, we can all discuss the glory of the bosoms, but yes. perhaps if you're putting the fucking effort into carving a marble statue, there's more intellectual process behind it than tits. I mean, you'd hope. <laughs> you'd hope. Like, are the guys given, like, total backstories? It's not just, like, lol, the guys are, like, making tits. Like, is, is no, this most famous statue by a man is either about the abolitionist movement or it's about uh, the Greek Civil War or it's about the Mormon threat to American Protestant marriage practice, all in the same statue, of course. But this one's just tits. But this one's just tits. This one's just about how much she liked tits or how sad she was that her school friend got married and sort of going, I liked my friends a lot and had some really unhealthy relationships, like codependent <laughs> Like, weirdly close girl friendships where a lot of the relatives are like, are they like a couple? Like, what's going on? Kind of, you know, really intense girl friendships. And I'm like, even I would not sculpt their bosoms just for the sake of sculpting their bosoms. I would only do it for abolitionism. I would only do it for the abolitionist movement, yeah. Fair enough. There's a degree of like, maybe consider that they were intelligent, sophisticated, worldly practicing artists who thought beyond the confines of wanting to get some puss. Reading reviewer two's feedback. 
Was there like a 19th century queer sculptor aesthetic? Like if I wanted to join in this a commune in Italy, like what would I have to be like? You would basically have to be upper middle class um, and willing to relocate to Rome and hang out with Harriet Hosmer, who kind of sounds like a dick. Like, I really feel like we would be friends because she's kind of an edgelord. Um, <laughs> which I have to, because I go to conference, I'm like, Harriet Hosmer was an edgelord. Everyone's like, what the fuck is an edgelord? Can you please expand yeah, on can't expand on, like, she comes from abolitionist Boston circles. Her pastor as a child, whatever they're called, um, was uh, the guy who invented transcendentalism, like Emerson. Like, right as he's writing the transcendentalist texts in her cemetery for her family that she could see from her bedroom. And she goes away to medical school and comes back, like, espousing slavery just to fuck with the people, like, at the dinner parties. Like, because she's like, I just want to be in it. You know, she carries a gun. She races horses. Well, she's a real prankster. She, like, uncoupled a train car in the train station. She faked somebody's death because he annoyed her. <laughs> just a real... Like, edgelord or, like, absolute... Legend? Dick. I, I can't... <laughs> She was a child for a lot of this, but then goes to Italy and it's still sort of like, I'm an American woman, I can do whatever the fuck I want, and got several talkings to from the police in Italy about causing trouble. But so, like, is definitely not this, like, wilting flower of, like, everything is so subsumed, I can't tell anybody. Like, she wrote her patron, like, yeah, I fucked your daughter. <laughs> Finally, more delicately, first, like, we committed a wedding ceremony and had our marriage night. We had secret eel sex. You won't ever find out where. I opened the cave of eels. <laughs> <laughs> this is where all of that mermaid shit really comes from. Is one, I watch way too much David Attenborough, and I'm like, yes, fish that change sex, that's awesome. And two, she made a fountain for one of her long-term partners called the Mermaid Fountain. It's very inventive it's a mermaid and it's a fountain but it's Whoa. this like really bulked out swole baroque mermaid with two very long sinuous eel tails going down either side there's like a baby off the side but whatever but like the way that the mermaid is sat like there's very clearly like a hold fast or something where the rock is going straight up her vagine I keep having to Google all these because they just sound They're great. They're great. They're weird. They're weird as shit. And the classic reading is, oh, the figure, and it's a figure of her lover. Like, it's a portrait of her, basically, her wife and the wife's daughter by a dead husband. And they had this whole weird gender thing where they called each other either they were both wife or they were wife and husband, but also Harriet Hosmer called her partner mother. It gets really weird. It gets really, and it's like in Italian and English and there's all kinds of gender play. But the classic reading is like, oh, it's because the mermaid is strong because her love for her daughter is so strong. Like, mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at it now. Her back is incredible. Her back is like a bag of ropes. Like, so muscular. It's butch pre butch, right? Yeah. This is where this whole th idea came from. Like, this is not a sexy heterosexual. Like, where does that baby come from? Like, does that baby come from an egg? I mean, the mermaid, it's called, what, the mermaid's cradle? Yeah. Is this what it is? Yeah. Well, we all know what that is. Yeah. Right. But there's basically, like, a rock straight up where she would have a mammal vagina. You know, did that baby come from an egg sac? Was there external fertilization? Did it bud off? Like, how does that... <gasps> budding. Budding. Uh, so that's fun. And then it's a massive bronze butch mermaid. Uh, I love it. Like, it's wonderful. I mean, the, the kind of, the fishy thighs are really really strong as well yeah. it's there's there's a lot of straddling happening yeah. in this it's a, 
But, and it, so it's the whole thing of like, oh, well, this is a very, it's not neoclassical. It's very clearly copied on Bernini and there's like the whole thing. But like, this is not a straightforward, like, oh, my longtime wife who is in her 60s at this point is so lovely and maternal and heterosexual. Like, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is, this is weird. This is weird. This is not a mammal having mammal babies and nursing her with mammal breasts. There's something. There's a lot of tentacular going on here. Yeah, the original paper title was Tentacular Tentacular. Ah, nice, nice. And also I've just noticed that the child as well has pointy ears. So that's that's not a human child. That's interesting to sort of... Creepy little demon child. Yeah. It's a creepy little demon child. Flipping your fins, you don't get too far. Publications. Are required. Stable employment. Would we have associated her with sort of butchness? Did she do an Ann Lister and sort of change the way she dressed? She famously kept her hair very short to the point that it's mentioned in a girl's boarding school novel where a girl goes and gets a disastrous haircut. And this is like in 1900 or something. And it's re- like referenced as you look like Hattie Hosmer with your short cap of curls. She wore sort of like men's shirts buttoned all the way up. She wore antique jewelry, so like an Etruscan gold brooch. If she was sculpting, she wore zouave trousers. So those really full palazzo pants style things, like a jaunty little men's cap. And she was like five one, tiny. And she like worked, should have, you know, wear a work workshop full of you know burly italian men who carved all her marble for her and just banged her way through the british aristocracy and possibly the deposed queen of naples i love it any more names in the british aristocracy that she uh, she was involved with lady marion alford lady louise ashburton there's another one a couple of lady a's the piece that i'm waiting to be published assumes that she slept with a woman called Adelaide Talbot, but it turns out that Adelaide Talbot was 12 um, when she modeled for this statue. Sort of went, I, I checked some dates and I don't think that happened. Seems to have had a thing for older women. Okay. Maybe the mother. Who knows? I was also going to say as well, like, because when I'm thinking about like 19th century lesbians, like the ones that come to mind are like Michael Field. And mm-hmm. so Michael Field, uh, Catherine Bradley and Edith Cooper were aunt and niece. Yeah. So... What is it about 19th century lesbians and these kind of slight incestuous things like saying, oh, mother and all this stuff? It seems to be more than a trend. It's weird. It's weird. Hosmer's mother died when she was like four and had a lot of mommy issues and like gravitated even to non-sexual older women in search of a mummy figure. Bless her. But it was definitely like, oh, this is a weird... You have a habit of aristocratic ladies who are slightly older than you, whose last names start with A. Mm, a type. She had a type, and that type gave her nice jewelry and bought her statues and like put her up at their country houses. I mean, it's a pretty good type, right? Actually. Like right. they pay for your fancy life in Italy and like your trips around Britain and Germany in the off season when you don't want to go hang out in the malarious. And then in return, I get a butch mermaid statue. Exactly. Which I really would like. You'll have your looks, your pretty face, and don't underestimate the importance of body language. (laughs) As an introduction to semiotics. I'm really sick of femme mermaids, actually. The more that I'm looking at these images, I'm like, fuck yeah, yeah, these are the kind of mermaids that I want in my life. Let mermaids be monsters. So the other thing that, that's fun is there's a film called The Lure, or I'm going to murder the Polish because I don't speak Polish, um, Chorki Dancingu, 
and it's this retelling. It's like 2015. It is a Polish disco retelling of The Little Mermaid. Disco retelling. Disco. disco. It is a disco musical about carnivorous mermaids. Sounds amazing. Oh my god. It is weird. It's not great, but it is. <laughs> it's fantastic. fantastic. It's fantastic. Ah. Uh. Uh, under the sea. Yeah. Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Yeah. And so there's a whole thing about how she tries to, like, one of the, there's two of them, one of them tries to become humans. So there's a whole trans metaphor of, like, she changes her whole lower body to satisfy a straight boy. I mean, this makes me think, like, I just feel like the Little Mermaid would have been better if she drowned Eric. Yeah. Right? Let's just all agree. Lunch time. Women need snacks. Yeah, and I mean, the, the person that's obviously snacking is Ursula, and, and I, I think she gets a bit shamed for that, because, you know, she was obviously modelled on Divine, the drag queen, but she is more than that. She is, she is mm-hmm. a full-bodied woman, and she fucking knows what she wants. She does, and she goes after it, and she's just shamed for being an ambitious woman, and that's just not fair. Ursula was not fair. Ursula was a goddess. And also, the fact that, you know, okay, so she stole Ariel's voice, whatever, but like... Whatever. Gave it willingly. Yeah. Gave it willingly. Uh, yeah. But... You know, she could, because she was a sea witch, very powerful, she could have chosen to be in that body just all the time if she wanted to, but she doesn't. She's happy being purple, tentacled. Bodacious. Bodacious. If she wanted to, she could have embodied that sort of... Does she have a name? I don't know. When she's human, like, if she wanted to, she could conform to beauty standards, but she's like, actually, no. I don't need to. No. Fuck that. I'm more adapted and more powerful in this form. So fuck you all. With her eight legs. Her eight, eight legs. suckery, slippery legs. And her two eel manservants. Return to the eels. It always comes back to the eels. You might say that, you know, she eeled like a woman. Would you though? No. I did have a Shania Twain joke about it. Because the classic Shania Twain song, Man, I Feel Like a Woman. I think if, if you have to explain it. it it works better in context i will say it doesn't hurt my doesn't hurt my feelings at all man eel like a woman to return to your uh, sculpture ladies we've yes. been doing some intense research um on wikipedia Excellent. and uh, as you know good researchers do and uh, we've been looking at them. So the, the main sort of three that you've been working on are Harriet Hosmer, Emma Stebbins, and Edmonia Lewis, yes. right? And we notice that they all have quite impressive jaws. So in your professional opinion, like, why is this? And who has the best jowls? I think Hosmer does. I think she, I think she really goes for it, mostly by living the longest um, and, like, really achieving a serious, life um and starting off from quite a square jaw to to begin with Mm -hmm. she just has that square old new england teeth gritting kind of jaw to put up with a lot of you know cold pilgrimy winters they're an old family she has she has a great job she also looks a bit like another woman that she slept with uh charlotte cushman Mm -hmm. an actress who was famous for playing romeo in romeo and juliet Oh. oh, so more sort of gender bending, nineteenth century fun. With whom she lived, and possibly also banged Charlotte Cushman's ex girlfriend Harriet before Charlotte Cushman took up. Damn, no, girl. my dream, my ultimate dream. I will tell this to you because we are friends, and I tell everyone anyway. 
all I want in the world. And I keep putting this out into the universe so that maybe someday- It's a Harriet Hosmer musical. I know, because I hate musicals. <gasps> right, you're, you're, I- I know, it's no, the, least, no. the least damn thing about me is I just have a weird thing about musicals. Um, I was in them in high school and now I'm just like, no, no fun. Never again. Did you have to do Oklahoma? Was that the problem? No, we did South Pacific and the deal I made was oh. I, I would not learn choreography. I would stand at the back of the chorus and just sing really loud and like let the nice pretty dancing girls do their dancing down front because they couldn't sing and dance. I was like, I'll just stand in the back and bellow. That's the deal we will make. But no, I really want, you know, Desperate Romantics, the really, really trashy pre-Raphaelite show. I want mm -hmm. that about Harriet Hosmer and all of her girlfriends and just like a really I mean Netflix Netflix I keep I come on when you were talking about like all these connections I don't know if you watched the L word and they had this yeah they had this thing in the L word where like they have this chart of like who slept with who and it's like this sort of six degrees of separation <laughs> but because lesbians are all intermingled that's the whole point in the L word so I was just thinking like I see like a 19th century queer lesbian who slept with her chart and but then it's difficult because that also maps onto family trees apparently yeah. like that's a lot to keep up with yeah there are some oh, one branch yeah. family trees happening um I, and then there's like a whole thing i mean genuinely it, it goes on charlotte cushman then sleeps with charlotte with her long-term partner emma stebbins little sister who then marries charlotte cushman's nephew and names their child after Charlotte Cushman, while they're still carrying on this affair. Um, Choices. Yeah. It goes on. That sounds amazing. It goes on and on and on. All I want is just like trashy, possibly a murder mystery. I mean, like I could I could shoot mm -hmm. more murder mystery in there because we all love a murder mystery period drama. Yeah, Drowned Man, fine. Was this all based in Rome? Yeah, they all just lived in Rome. Charlotte Cushman, Emma Stebbins, and Harriet Hosmer all lived together for like eight years on a street just off the Spanish steps. There's like a big, you can sort of oh. go see the house. There's a and b in it now. It's 300 euro a night. Someday I will stay there. Oh my God, please put it into your next funding application. Oh my God, to. yeah. I need to. It's amazing. It's been like restored to sort of a pseudo Renaissance style. Yeah, oh, that sounds I want, incredible. All I want is to stay there so bad. Campus tits, I love it. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so if you spoke English in Rome in the 19th century, you were basically part of a lesbian utopia. Pretty much, yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And they lived fairly openly as well. It was sort of like they were, you know, they were all artists. They were when in Rome, exactly. Uh, they, they, uh, uh, they were friends with like Frederick Layton, who hung out in Hosmer's studio, and they wrote little gay letters back and forth, and so like signed each other. She calls him Faye. He calls her Hat. Oh, he calls her the best queerest little chap ever. They go on sort of. This is not a heterosexual friendship. <laughs> I'm, it's it's great but there's this whole circle and it goes on for ages and ages and ages and then sort of towards the end of the 19th century the straight people take back over and it just becomes the worst again oh fuck's sake boring yeah boring yeah. like one of them gets married filthy hips no fun Oof, um, boring boring Ugh. statue marble bus i mean speaking again about tits like we seem to have talked about them a lot can you tell us about volcanic boob imprints yes, please? i can talk about volcanic boob imprints. so pompeii obviously the bodies the casts before 1863 which is when the really famous like proper full body casts are made they tried making casts of things before so there's some like older casts of doors 
and bits of bits and bobs and things. But there's one really famous one, and it's now lost. But it was essentially the left tit and neck and shoulder of a woman that was cast and displayed in the museum and in Naples. And it was very, it's sort of like, oh, very sensual. Like you can see the beauty of the figure just from her clavicle, her clavicle and one weird volcanic nip. So that becomes this whole character of like this very wealthy woman who's usually sort of sexually available to time travelers who are usually French. And it, she shows up in a couple stories or like becomes a character in The Last Days of Pompeii, who's a slightly slutty, very wealthy Roman woman. Right, because it's interesting about the discourses on Pompeii, because I remember like, so I've been to Pompeii twice, actually. How many boob imprints did you leave? Many, 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 many. It was one of those things where like, you could just kind of wander around and see all the things. And then there was always a massive queue for the brothel. Yep. Like, the only reason anyone was there was like, let's go fucking see the brothel. Like, even in that sort of way that tourism works, it's just like, teehee. So upsetting. Then you think about, like, every woman in there was enslaved. It was like a site of horrible sexual violence. They're, yep. like, on stone beds. It's just... Yeah. But then you get all, like, everyone just sort of goes to be like, lol, dirty pictures. Or, like, got the cast of the man who looked like he was masturbating from a certain angle. Two years ago, I think it did the rounds. Everyone was like, that's a person. Stop. Stop being icky. Like, you can see his bones. Like, please. Please stop, sir. Sir, please. But, like, it's 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 really, and so I, there's a conflict. Because, like, at, at one level, I'm like, oh, this is really neat, like, scientifically and historically. But on the other side, I'm like, oh, but it's an icky skeleton and it was a real person. And I need to be nice about it. But also, <laughs> And kind of leads us on to, I think we've only got this final question, which is that basically thinking about um, uh, the woke age, scare quotes, woke age. So in addition to kind of like tearing down statues and literally throwing them in a river, how else can we update our engagement with historical artworks or spaces of sort of like historical antiquity importance? words that I'm saying. I just want to cut in here and say that I, for one, have learned all my histories from statues. So mm -hmm. I think it's really, really terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking. <laughs> I, well, I did, I, I did during the height of the protests after, after that statue came down, I did go on a podcast about it, like opposite the Bristol conservative mayoral candidate. And at the <laughs> Did you throw him in the river? It was really weird. And like, but the time I was still the Henry Moore postdoc fellow and they hadn't put out any kind of guidance or statement about like how as an institution we were supposed to be responding. And so I was sitting there going like, I can't because I am being introduced as the current fellow. I can't go, yes, queen, pull them all down. <laughs> throw them in the river. It's where they belong, which is how I feel. And so I was like very delicately trying to be like, I think we need to listen to the protesters. This is a, like an accepted longstanding historical practice of defacing monuments when they no longer serve their purpose. And I feel like we need to listen to the genuine complaints that these people have. They tried, they tried. I'm sitting there going like, I know how far it is from the Robert E. Lee statue in Virginia to the river and how many trees it would take to roll it there. It was a very weird experience. But 
honestly, I love statues. I'm super gay for statues. All I want to do is look at statues and touch them and talk about them. Have you ever spanked one? No, but I have touched things I'm not supposed to touch. They just look so smooth. They're so smooth. They're so touchable. I do know what rooms and what museums are not particularly well guarded. I hold this information close as a secret and I don't tell people, but I have touched stuff. If you ever go to the Vatican and you really want to touch something, the walls are marble and they don't yell at you for touching the walls. So I sort of like touch the wall and pretend I'm touching the statue. I'm like, yes, this is great. I mean, marble does feel incredible, right? the touch it's just so cold and so smooth so luxurious and it has so many different textures and different kinds feel different i really like more it's not healthy it's not normal gay for marble. i'm very gay for marble um i'm gay for colored marbles polychrome floors uh i just i love it all i'm a normal functional human being who hasn't gone crazy i forgot where i was going wokeness, wokeness thank you wokeness so the idea that there's you learn history from statues, that once they're up, they have to stay up. I would like us to look to the French Revolution, where a statue went up and was immediately, like, they just pulled them down. They didn't serve their purpose anymore. Artists knew this and were like, okay, how can we minimize this from happening for as long a period of time? I know, we'll make them allegorical. If we don't put a portrait of the guy who's oppressing people on it, and it's just a nice naked lady with a good national attribute, like peace. Maybe it'll stay up. Maybe we'll be okay. But they come down. This is just part of the statue lifestyle. Statue go up, statue, go, statue down. go down. You know, the Romans and the Egyptians had Demnatio Memoriae. Stuff got scratched off. It's just... It's history, it's, baby. It's history, baby. Taking statues down is an erasing history. It's making history. Hmm. I don't think they should go in museums. I think they should go in fucking warehouses. The riverbed. Or the riverbed, if they're particularly egregious. Most of them, frankly, aren't very good. Especially, especially like Confederate monuments. They bought them out of catalogs. They're made of like, a lot of them are made out of tin. They were mass produced in factories. They're shit. Of course they were. Incredible. They're really bad. Such artifacts. The big portraity ones that you get like in the capital are better because you had like real artists doing them. But your average Confederate monument outside a Missouri courthouse was purchased from a catalog in the 1920s. Usually produced in Boston. They were produced in the North by the children of abolitionists and then put up in the South. Take them down. Shit like more in more interesting interventions can be made with less traumatic stuff. So like the highest, I don't know if you knew about the highest and the nymphs thing in 2017? 2018, no. um, Manchester Art Gallery had Sonia Boyce come in to do a feminist art installation project intervention and took Hylas and the Nymphs, which is this beloved Victorian painting, down temporarily. And it did the, the right wing rag thing of like, did they, you know, basically, oh, they're going to burn it on the lawn. We're never going to see it again. This is canceling the Victorian. And the museum, bless them, just didn't quite know what to do with this and panicked a little bit. But it was this thing of like, that was an intervention to take it down to see what do we see when it's not there anymore? Like what conversation not having because it's there, it's omnipresent, we've stopped looking at it properly. If we take it down, we can maybe have a conversation about its absence if it should go back up, etc. Her argument was like, this is basically child porn. They look very young. There's a whole other issue of like, they're sexually predacious inhuman nymphs who are about to, you know, kill a man and, um, I was going to say, it's, like, it's, it's the drowny one, right? Yeah, it's the drowny one. So, like, there's ways of doing it. The problem is everybody is afraid now of the right-wing backlash if you do anything. The half measures get made. I'm like, I'm very sort of, like, burn it down. I don't really care. This is a fact of life. I work on stuff that's, you know, two, three thousand years old. I'm very ambivalent. Like, stuff survives. Stuff happens. 
the form of the statue is not going to remain the same forever. Functions get served. We need to be having conversations that benefit people today, not dead white guys from the end of the 17th century. They dead. They don't care. They, they dead. And they'd been dead quite a long time before the statue went up, like, especially with Colson. The one that gets me is the same thing. Like, oh, well, what will happen in 100 years when people decide that they need to camp? I'm going to be dead. I will not care. We, our generation and the generations before us don't stand a fucking chance reputationally going forward. <laughs> like, we have we have more important things to worry about than if a bunch of, like, I don't know what the version of woke is going to be when we all live on Mars, but, like, whatever the Mars colonist babies consider. Thing is, though, if Elon Musk is involved in getting us to Mars... There's no way Mars is going to be woke. Let's just be clear about this. Okay. That's very true. We can have we can have space colonies. We we can live on like Lagrange Point mm-hmm. astro colonies. I don't want Mars. I want you know, give me butch lesbians at the bottom of the sea. That's what we need to go for. I just want to go be yeah. like a deep sea anglerfish with like boobs instead of like a lantern mm-hmm. thing, or like boobs on a lantern. But yeah. that's like put the tits up here. Boob lanterns, Boob lanterns, for, lanterns all. for all. But yeah, so like I, I'm very ambivalent. I'm, I'm very woke. I could be better at being woke. I have mm-hmm. shit to learn from people. I'm not saying I'm the leftiest, wokiest person on the planet, and I shouldn't be speaking for people who know better. But also people that claim to be, they're not. Yeah. The whole thing about being woke is about recognizing that it's, it's a process of yes. becoming better, and people are in different stages of that process. Anyone who claims to be woke, full stop needs yeah. to shut you cannot complete being old <laughs> no i i grew up in a highly segregated farm town in central california i am still unlearning shit that wasn't overt but it's still getting unpicked because i was a middle class white kid in a segregated farm town i am still unlearning that i work on classics i work on white marble allegorical sculptures commissioned by imperial powers but they did some good things, though. This. Yeah, remember they did some one? good things. They, you know, made... You yeah, that one. I, you know, it, maybe it'll come back to me, like, that one thing. So, like, you know, I work on fucking Winkelmann, who's like, oh, whiteness is a precondition for beauty. Ugh, no black person. I was like, that's <laughs> fucking racist, and I have to talk about it. The, the most influential sculptures in fucking Europe were stolen and are still being held hostage like we have to address this it's not neutral just because it's a fucking beige statue it's only beige because it's really fucking old and they didn't clean it very well (laughs) so yeah i i am very pro intervention pro woke conversations and talking about uncomfortable shit um but also like if somebody wants to tell me to shut the fuck up and listen i want to shut the fuck up and listen and learn and but also I want to talk about mushrooms and spores and mermaids. Eels. And eels and coming together as women to like drown men together and have really good hair, which I think is the real essence of yeah. being a mermaid. Great hair, rippling muscles. Done. Maybe, maybe you play a flute. Maybe, who knows? Maybe you have a little talking crab, buddy. Maybe you play a kazoo. Maybe you play a kazoo. Feels up inside ya, finding an entrance where they can. Feels up inside ya, finding an entrance where they can. If you'd like more from Melissa, you can find her stalking our Twitter page at Low My Praxis, 
or on her own personal account at Hosmoriana. Be prepared for lots of quilt content and statue butts. We've been my praxis. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, a five-star output deserves five-star reviews. No reviewer two comments, please. Shout out to our biggest fan and most consistent listener, my mother, Faye. You can get in touch with us by emailing longmypraxis at gmail.com or finding us on Twitter at longmypraxis. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter E for eel and the number 1837. Our shape this week is a butch mermaid. Remember to tell your friends with apologies for cross-posting. Bye!